Folks, this is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. There's always one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is March the 30th, 2021. This is episode 2846 of the Survival Podcast. As it is a Tuesday, it will be what it normally is, me taking one subject and breaking it down for you. The subject of the day permaculture. Don't turn off the podcast and be like, these are the ones I don't listen to. I want to listen to the stuff on you know, cryptocurrency or I want to listen to the stuff that's a bit political or whatever. And I'm not into all this uh, woo-woo stuff. If you feel that way, you probably haven't heard me teach and talk about permaculture before. Also, those of you that are like, boy, you know, the thing about permaculture is it's so high level uh, when it comes to the design science components of it. That it's not really where I'm at yet. I just want to garden and a few chickens and stuff. You are who this show is for. Today's show is called Permaculture Property Design for the Everyday Person. I'm even going to take a bit of a shot at something I love. The Permaculture Design Course. And I'm going to show you that when I do this, it's not new. I have a link in the episode notes today that says what exactly is a permaculture design certification and what isn't. And I'm pretty critical on some levels, not all levels, some levels of PDCs all the way back then in 2013. I've been to, I guess you would say two and a half as a student, because I was only at half of one because I was there as a guest speaker, and I've spoken at a bunch of stuff uh, that are either PDC or parts of PDCs or things like that. My material's been used in them. I love PDCs, but they're not for everyone. They're just not. Um, and I'm going to try to make this way more approachable today. Uh, then maybe I have in a long time. I'm going to try to help you understand how you can take these high-level philosophical components and use them in your own backyard. This is a show that is dedicated to people who have anything from a quarter acre to a five-acre property. This is a show for people who don't want to go out, uh, rent an excavator in a laser level, and put in a half a, a mile or two miles of swell. Don't want a giant food forest. They just want to be able to grow their own food and produce and see to their own needs and resources in their own backyard to some degree. And they want to do it in a non-disjointed manner. They say, we're going to build a garden, and then we're going to go make a way to make compost, and then we're going to go make a way to make a chicken coop, and then we're going to go over here and do this other thing. And none of them are really like related to each other, or you realize, boy, I put that in the wrong place. Or, gee, the way I did this, now that I got chickens, I either have to contain them or I have to fence them out because... They're going to screw all that up. So we're going to try to talk about this today for where a normal person can listen to just this show, just nothing else. Use the resources and then figure out their own resources for other things that they want to do. Because most of the time it's like, well, now that I know I want to do X, how do I build X? How do I make X? Tons of free resources on that. I'm going to try to put this all together in a way that makes it digestible. We're going to eat an elephant today one bite at a time, but we're going to finish the elephant in about an hour maximum for today's show because, as you can still hear after uh, a week of uh, having students here, my voice is still strained, so I need to do this for myself as well. So before I dig into it today, let's talk about our two sponsors today. Sponsor today, number one today is BulkAmmo.com. Uh, I say it all the time. I think it's pretty pretty obvious that it's true 
Gun, no ammo, equals expensive club or something you can sell. A gun without ammo can't do what a gun's meant to do. The first thing to dry up when we start hearing rumors or credible intel on more firearms restrictions, which we're getting right now, and these are credible, given the state of the Senate, the House, and the current administration, Whoever would have thought that you're in you're the almost the entirety of your Second Amendment rights would hang on a Democratic senator from West Virginia named Joe Manchin? Because that's kind of where we're at right now. You know what goes first, though, before guns, before magazines, before accessories? Ammo. Ammo starts to disappear so quickly. It's in tight supply. It's been in tight supply for years. But I'll tell you who has a lot of it at a great price with lightning-fast shipping, bulkammo.com, and they do do a discount for members of the MSB. Next up, you know, ammo is kind of, we call it the other precious metal, copper-jacketed lead. We also have real precious metals like silver and gold. As much as I love crypto, I still maintain 5% to 10% of my net wealth in physical silver and gold, and I think you should too. And the reason you should get it from JM Bullion, there's a bunch of them. One, they supported the show you listen to now for a decade, 10 years. They've been with us. Two, better prices than Monix and Atmex and you know Lear Capital, better prices. Three, still small enough to give personalized customer service when necessary. Four, they do a discount for members of the MSB here. I don't know anybody that can get discounts. You know, not just one-off sales, but once a month you can get a discount on your silver and gold purchases if you're an MSB member. And then next, it's free shipping on all orders. So my question for you is if you're going to buy silver and gold, uh, anything short of a local shop, you're going to go in and talk to the owner. Uh, if you're going to buy it online, why would you buy anywhere else? I don't know why I wouldn't. Uh, That's where I go for all my silver and gold needs. With that, let's get into this. I want to start out with a quote of the day. I'm going to do something a little bit different with my quote of the day today. I am not going to explain it. I'm not going to offer any commentary on it at all. I'm going to make it. I'm going to tell you the name of the man who said it. If you want to know more about him, you can look him up. I just want to prime the pump for what we're going to be doing today. I'm going to let you extrapolate for yourself 100% today. This is by Clifford Stoll. And Clifford, I think you can spell, but in case my, my voice is making the last name hard to understand, S-T-O-L-L. Okay, Clifford Stoll. He said, data is not information. Information is not knowledge. Knowledge is not understanding. Understanding is not wisdom. And I have to bite my big old jack tongue to not comment on that like I promised I wouldn't. Really? Think about that. I'm going to give you like five seconds of silence. Something I almost never do here because dead air on a podcast is like dead air in a nightclub for a DJ. You know, you get fired for it. But I'm going to give you five seconds. I'm going to read it again. I'm going to wait five seconds and I'm going to come back and I'm going to start the show. Data is not information. Information is not knowledge. Knowledge is not understanding. Understanding is not wisdom. All right, so now you can see why, unless you took the time to actually meditate there a little bit on that statement, why dead air is so bad, even five seconds of it in a podcast. Anyway, let's start off with what do I mean? by permaculture for the everyday person and why should you care? So if you ask me what permaculture is, no matter, I'm going to change my definition a little bit depending on my audience, right? Depending on what they're looking for because we it, it's so multidimensional that there are various ways to describe it. But I will always start with the first three words. Well, five, because permaculture is a design science. And then I'm going to go to 
whatever it is that I think is most important about what that design science can do for you. If you are big into self-sufficiency and self-reliance, I'm going to talk about it from that angle. If you're just a farmer, I'm going to bring it to you from that angle. But we're going to start out with permaculture's design science. And it's what it is. And there's no better phrase to lead with in defining it and helping a person understand how it relates to them. There's one problem with it. Design science. Sounds complicated. Sounds really academic. Sounds like something that's um, kind of etherical. Doesn't really apply. But when we understand that science is a process, not an institution. Unfortunately, science today has become an institution. But science is not supposed to be an institution. It's a process. And you use science every day. And you use scientific methodology every day. At least if you're a thinking, intelligent, logical, rational person who understood even half of the, the, the quote of the day today from Clifford Stoll, you use science. Because science is about taking an idea, testing it, pulling it apart, and validating or invalidating it, or saying it's valid but, and adding other things to it. That's what science is supposed to be. Does this thing do what we think it does? It doesn't. It does. It sort of does, but... And then maybe, well, since it's part way there, what can we do to maybe get it over the, the line? Think about how often you do that. Many of you, you have jobs, you do it in your jobs. Even if your job is not considered a scientific job. If you ever built anything and you didn't get it right, right out of the get-go, you had to make modifications to it along the way, you put a process in place, you tested it against a variable, you looked at the results, you modified it, and then you determined that what you were doing was never going to work, or you made it work. Science. That's specific science we would generally classify as engineering, but it's still science. So science is not a big spooky word. It's not something we need to run away and hide from, and no one's going to throw a textbook at you if you get into this and say, there's a test on Friday. If you fail, you're thrown out of the permaculture guild or whatever. It's not how this works. So we should care because permaculture is a system of using design science, which is just basically methodology and troubleshooting to determine how to provide our needs. That's really what it is, to provide all of humanity's needs. But you are the designer here. So maybe you don't want to provide all your needs. Maybe you only want to provide some of your needs or some percentage of your needs. And that's okay. It's your show, right? It's your decision. It's your property. It's your goals. It's your family. It's your unique restrictions. It's your climate. It's your work. How much time you're going to take to, to do it every week or every month. When you have time. It's your lifestyle. So you get to decide how much or how little you do. I have no room for puritism in almost anything. So... I wouldn't bring it into permaculture. You should care because whatever the things are you want more of in your life, there's a good chance that this mindset can help you get more of it. We're not going to do it today, but you could even be thinking, I don't want anything to do with farming or gardening or anything like that. The permaculture design process can help you design a business. It can help you design a community. It can help you design almost anything that involves living, breathing creatures, including humans. So... That's why you should care. Now, I want to start out with, with a PDC or permaculture design course. I've been getting a lot of questions lately. It's probably because Jeff Lawton has a $1,500 course open and available. And um, I think it's a great course. And I think if it's right, 
you should take it. But I think before you should take it, you should hear somebody say the things I'm about to say. Because it may not be right for you. Um, the permaculture design course is 72 hours of instruction. Now, when it's done online, it tends to be 72 hours of instruction. It originally wasn't done online. It originally was done only on site because when it started, there was no such thing as online. Al Gore had not yet invented the internet. Um, so we didn't have an internet. And honestly, when PDC started, we didn't even have DVDs. We had VCRs and Betamax, right? We're going back to the, the mid to late seventies when the PDC was first beginning to be taught and there was only one person teaching it in the beginning. And that was the co-founder and co-creator of the concept, Bill Mollison. To my knowledge, at that time, David Holgram kind of like took what they did together, went off and started building his own homestead. And we didn't hear from him for about 20 years. Not there's anything wrong with that. He just went and put it into practice, went on his own, did his own thing. Bill Mollison started the PDC, started teaching it. As he taught it, he got some students that were capable of teaching, and they started teaching. And I can tell you, having been to on-site PDCs, it's usually not 72 hours of instruction. It's 72 hours of course. And some of that is, okay, we're done for a couple hours. Get with your group and go work on your designs. So now we take something that's already incredibly information-intensive. We break the design hours out, tell students to do that on their own, put it online at 72 hours of instruction. And it's like a fire hose blowing down your throat. And then just think what 72 hours means. How many days that is. If you do one hour a day, seven days a week, it's 72 days. So not everybody has the time to do that right now. Not everybody has the time to do that right now. And I think stretching it out too long can actually be a negative. You know, if you watched five hours a week, okay, that works. Every week, no weeks off. Still do the math. How many weeks? Right? It's longer than 72 days because we're not doing an hour a day. And I think people can only take so much of it. So I think that unless you are in the right frame of mind, the right place in life where you can dedicate a couple weeks, it's probably not the right time in your life. The other side of it is I have talked to a lot of people who took PDCs that were disappointed. They thought it was great, but they were disappointed because, number one, it was not what was expected. The student expected that they would primarily learn how to design their own backyard. That they were going to go to a course, and when they came home, they would know my garden there, my chicken house there, etc. It can be that, but when the expectation's not in the right place, it won't. It won't be. Because students sitting there, why am I learning about how an atoll in the middle of the South Pacific forms a freshwater lens underneath it, and how we have to be mindful of that when we put in a septic system so we don't damage it? Because while that's really interesting... It does not apply to my desire to have a small homestead in Des Moines, Iowa. Does that make sense? I mean, that's it, so when it's not what's expected, often even if what you needed was there, you don't see it or you get it. It's also expensive. Full-on PDCs are expensive. Anywhere between $500 and $1,500 online and far more expensive in some cases offline, sometimes a little bit less. Depends on where. But it's inexpensive. As we already discussed, it's a huge time commitment. It's a hu I'm not trying to talk you out of it. I'm trying to say if you're going to do it, know what you're getting into. Right? 72 hours, even viewing videos, 
and you're not talking about watching, you know, um, a series on a superhero on, on, on Netflix. You're not talking about a detective show, right? You're talking about something that is information rich and educational, and some of the things in it require significant consideration before you even understand them. Okay. And then just because you understand it doesn't mean you have the wisdom to implement it back to our quote. All right. So if you are really well defined in what you want, which I'm going to try to get you to at the end of this, by the end of this episode, then these things that are peripheral, if you're not in the right frame of mind and you've got this much time and money invested in it, you're going to end up unhappy. Even if you're happy, you're going to be like, it was good, but. And I don't think when somebody spends $1,500 on something, they should come out with that. So they should go in fully informed. Okay? Um, as I said already, like with the, 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 the water lens in a bikini in, in, a, in a, an atoll, right? So I was going to say bikini atoll. That's where they set the bombs off. Um, but the water lens in an atoll is not really applicable to your goals. How to design um, a system in a desert climate with bare mountains may be applicable to your goals if you live in certain parts of Arizona, but how to do it in a place where there are no resources whatsoever as far as like stores and stuff, good to know. Great to know. Certainly prepares you for the end of the world as we know it. However, probably not what you're going to do. Permaculture design courses empower people to go be aid workers anywhere in the world. Most people don't want to be an aid worker anywhere in the world. And they're also very much, I would say, almost half philosophy, which is great because it motivates people and it teaches people how to think. But again, if I've got a married couple, two kids, they want to design their backyard, make sure they still have a place for the kids to play, they want to produce you know, X, Y, and Z, it, 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 it's the same reason that some people will say I would never take a guided hunting trip. Kind of a reverse of expense thing here, right? I'd never take a guided hunting trip. Why would I do that? I know the woods around my place. You know, I know the public land. I go deer hunting. I take two weeks a year off for deer hunting, and I go do that. And if I get a deer, I do. And if I don't, I don't. Why would I pay a guide? And other people say, I get one hunting trip a year for three days. You bet your ass I'm going to pay a guide. You're, you're, you're adjusting the, the service or how you spend your time to your goals. So don't think I'm crapping on PDCs. Again, I've taken some. I will probably some point in my life take another one. Just Especially if I can make the time to spend two weeks in a place, I'll probably do it just for the experience and the meeting of people and, and experience the same ideas taught from a different vantage point, a different instructor. Okay, But I know what I'm getting, and you should too. I want to now switch to my views on personal permaculture for everyone because I've defined the problem here for the majority of people who listen to this show. So what are the solution? I think we can actually do this in just, what is it, eight bullet points. Eight bullet points, eight sub-bullets, and two primary bullets. My views on personal permaculture design for everyone. The first element to examine is you, yourself, and your family. This is where most people go wrong. They start with the property. They start with the property. Well, the property is south-facing slope, and the house is in the center, and it's shaped in a trapezoid. It's fenced and cross-fenced. The clay is this. All this is great. Property evaluation is great. Doesn't matter, though. Doesn't matter without 
thinking about the people who live on the property. If I were willing to be a consultant, and before you ask, I'm not, I refer all my requests for consultation on permaculture to Nick Ferguson, every single one of them. But if I were, and I went out and I had two people that lived next door to each other, and neither one of them was, you know, a complaining Karen, so I didn't have to worry about that at all. So, but one was, let's say, an elderly couple in their 60s that were in retirement years, that were in good, reasonably good physical health, but they had some limitations as far as bending and lifting. They like to travel, so they're gone here and there a week at a time, but most of the time they're around and they have all day to see the things. They just need to put some resiliency in so strategically they can leave for a week here or a long weekend there and have a neighbor look in on it and not everything break. And that was one family. Next door, it's literally the same house. Maybe it's a different color, but it's a subdivision where you pick your model. They happen to pick the same model, same size yard, same trees, same layout, same soil, same slope, as close as they can be to identical as possible. It's a family of four. It's a young couple in their working years. Kids a baby. One of the kids is a baby. Their kid's like, you know, five, six years old. They have almost no time. They both work full time. They're worrying about the kids. Kids are starting to get in activities. They have way less time, but they have way more energy, way more physical capability, and they're home every day, and they travel less. Okay, I'm going to design different systems. Okay, And just throw whatever variable in you want. Um, the married couple with the kids is totally comfortable killing their own livestock. And they want to produce meat. Okay? Quail, rabbits, maybe chicken, maybe ducks, depending on how much space there is. But, like, we're going to design animals that are meat producers into that system. We're going to do it in a way that fits with their busy lifestyle. The elderly couple says, we like to eat meat, but we're not comfortable slaughtering animals. We're not doing animals. Especially since they want to travel a week or ten days here and there. Especially if they don't have somebody with the ability and the money to pay them to take care of animals during that time. We don't want animals. We don't want them. We just don't want them. Right? Maybe chickens for eggs. Okay, then we need to make sure that they're comfortable with the fact that you're either going to have expensive pets when they stop laying, you're going to have double the size of your flock, and you're going to have to have somebody take care of them, or you're going to have to get somebody who's willing to kill them to kill them for you or for themselves. And there's no long-term retirement ranch for chickens that don't lay eggs. doesn't exist. We're going to design to the person first, the property second. That doesn't mean you can't look at a property and go, this property sucks, don't buy it if you want to do permaculture at all. But we can probably make almost any property work. Okay, but that's So we need to design me first. Me, the designer, if I'm designing my own, And if I'm taking a client, I need to, it, the first thing I need to evaluate is the people. People and their goals. So what do you do? Start out by defining your output goals. We can do so much more than just provide food with permaculture, but most people coming in as the entry-level drug, they want to produce food. They want vegetation, fruits, vegetables, nuts, etc. They want animal products, let's say milk, eggs, stuff like that. Or they want meat from animals. They, that's somewhere in there is what they're looking for. So what 
do you want to produce and provide for yourself? When you look at the whole year, start bringing it down in really simplistic terms. Don't throw nebulous shit before you even know what it means, right? I want to produce 60% of my own food. Well, how much food do you use right now? Most people that say, I want to do 60%, it just seems like a good thing. It's more than half. But if you don't know how much you produce for yourself, how much you use, there's no way that 60% means anything. Let me explain it to you this way. Give me 60%. What, you're, you're sitting there thinking, 60% what? Uh, no, I just want 60%. 60% of what? Give me 60% of 100. That would be 60. But you're still saying 60 what? Give me 60% of 100 eggs. 60 eggs. See how that works? But most people just throw a number at it, and they don't know how much they use. There's a better way to think about this that gives you really simplistic goals. Set goals like, I want my family to eat three salads a week during my growing season, more about extending it later, during my easily defined growing season, that come almost 100% from my property. Now we got something. Now we got something. So now we can say, well, what do we make salad out of? Lettuces and greens are your primarily base, right? So what greens, what salad greens, lettuces, perennial greens, etc., grow in my climate during my easy-to-define growing season? Which ones of those is my family like? How much of that do I need to make a salad for my family of 1, 3, 4, 19, whatever it is? Okay. Then how much do I have to grow? so that that can be done without cutting it to the ground and not having it grow back, or how many crops do I need in succession so that they're filling in as old ones that uh, uh, go off, right? That They go off the back end because they're not going to be productive anymore. What do I success into? When I go into my start with the cool climate greens in the spring and I go into my warm climate greens in the summer and I go back into cool climate into the fall and maybe how far I can go into winter, and then I can I can map that all out. And once I know how much that is, I can define how much growing space I need. Now I know my minimum garden size for that goal. Simple. Simple. No, well, you know, Bill says we need X percentage, or you could do everything you need. No, no. We've defined one goal, salad. Here's how much space I need for salad. That doesn't mean we know where to put it yet, but we do know that that will meet a goal. And it's a beautiful goal. Because we can put the system in, we can start harvesting it, we can say that the nights that we are going to make salad from the garden, or I don't know, let's say Friday, Sunday, let's say Friday, Sunday, and Wednesday, for whatever reason. Maybe Wednesday's the midweek day that you don't have anything going on. And then you try it. And you either fail, you don't have enough, you need more space, or you need better technique, you meet the goal, and then you can put a check next to it. You meet the goal, but you have way too much. Well, that's great. Now you need to start having one on Saturday, on Thursdays. Or you need to use the space to do something else. Maybe you use the same vegetation, but now you know you can add rabbits. Right? So on the rabbits, if I was going to put rabbits in, I would have a goal like, I want to produce enough rabbits that I can feed my family one meal based on rabbit a week. That's it. That's the first goal. What do I need? 
50 bunnies. How many rabbits do I need to produce 50 bunnies? What housing do I need for that? How much is it going to cost? Is this realistic? What am I going to feed them? See how simple it is? Right? So maybe somebody says that and they're like, wow. So now that I'm doing the math and I've never raised rabbits before, maybe the first thing I should do is go get a rabbit from somebody else, kill it, process it, feed it to my family. If that all works out and everybody says, yes, we like rabbits, and you're okay killing little bunnies, now we can reevaluate. Maybe I want one rabbit every two weeks. Now I need what? You know, 25 rabbits a year, 25, 26 rabbits a year. Maybe it's a little bit more doable. So now I, I set that system up, and we'll talk more about how to make it relate to other things. But I'm just trying to give you examples. This is how we do this. This is how we do this. This is how we determine what we're going to put in, and then we design the system to provide the output. Next, define your ability to do maintenance, projects, etc., in skill and in time. And that includes the skills you're willing to develop. If you've never built anything, and you're going to build a chicken coop from the ground up, that's okay. You'll probably make a lot of mistakes, but you'll learn a lot from it. It's going to take a hell of a lot longer than somebody who can, you know, frame a small chicken house in their sleep because they're a framer in a construction company for a living, right? I mean, some people would have to learn, even in a small structure, well, exactly how do, how do I use a speed square to determine the cuts in my rafters? And some people would be like, whatever, right? So you have to think about your skill set. Are you going to buy it? Are you going to build it? But you also need to think about maintenance. What does it mean in time commitment? So when you figure out those bunnies, right, you should say, okay, so how long will it take once I'm proficient to make sure, since they're living creatures, they get food and water every day, because they need food and water every day, to make sure that they are healthy, to do things like know when to in introduce bucks and does together for breeding, to time everything out, how much time it will it take me, how many hours a week on average will I spend to maintain a rabbitry with one buck and two does. And then that time is gone. That time comes off the time budget. So you need to figure out, first of all, how many hours are there, and each one of these things, how much time is taken by them. And this is something people don't do, and it's why you see YouTubers who start homesteading channels a year into it, explode live on YouTube, I'm done, I quit, this sucks. Because they spend their entire life supporting a system instead of having their life supported by a system. Because they don't do this in the beginning, and they try to do everything instead of the things that are most in line with their goals. Because there's another thing that could happen. Well, this is going to take five hours a week. I don't want it to. How do I make it take two? Now you sit down, you go back to that engineering design, and you figure out ways to speed that system up. Okay? Next, consider your longevity plans for living on a property. There are things I'm doing here, if I plan on selling in five years, I would not be doing. There's things that are on the edge. Like, there are risks. There are things that can go wrong. And I'm of the opinion, if they really go catastrophic, I can rent a piece of equipment and fill a hole in. And start over and do something else. I am an educator. 
I run an educational facility. I run an educational show. My entire life is dedicated to this. If I do something and it falls apart, I can say, you know what? Don't do that. Or if you're going to do it, here's why mine fell apart. I'm okay with that. It's my job. When you are doing something, you are totally in a different place. And one of the biggest things is I'm going to be here two years. You know, I put a garden in, maybe plant a few fruit trees because it adds to the value of the property no matter who buys it. I'm not doing radical transformation, especially radical transformation that won't be complete at my time to sell. Just not doing it. I think I'm going to die on this property. Go nuts. You've got to consider that in evaluating yourself. Next, embrace every design restriction. Stop saying, I wish I could. And start asking, because I can't, what do I need to do to get what I want? Because you'll be surprised at how fast you'll find solutions. I can't tell you how many times, especially in person, here on my property, someone will come to me and go, well, I'd like to, but. And then they lay out this long soliloquy of all the things that make their property a special, unique little snowflake where just nothing can be done. And I take maybe 5% of that information and go, Well, you could do this, this, and this. And they look dumbfounded. They look at, they're like, oh my God, why didn't I see that? Because you're emotionally invested in what is your own. You're emotionally invested in it. And because you're emotionally invested in it, you can't really see the forest for the trees. You know, I can't have. Well, why not? Because they say I can't. Okay, there's a lot of ways to come at this. What else does that that you can't have? Can you do it anyway? What's the consequence if you get caught? And how can we hide it? I know a friend. He lives in a place where you're really not supposed to have chickens. He has chickens in his front yard. You'll never know it. He'll drive right past. You'll never. He has neighbors that know. They're okay with it. Their kids come over and pick up eggs. I'm not even going to say how. Don't need to get into that today. I'm just going to say it looks like landscaping. The chickens are outside the house, front yard, nobody sees the chickens. You walk your dog past and maybe hear a little, and be like, well, oh, it's a weird sound. What was that? Of course, he has no roosters. Everybody knows, ar, 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 right? But there's always ways. Think about it this way. Back at one time, there were places where satellite television was illegal or satellite dishes were not allowed because they were ugly. And people made them look like umbrellas. I mean, you kind of have to be stupid because they're upside down, right? To think of a big, and I'm talking C-band dish. I'm not talking about dish network. I'm talking about like a six-foot or an eight-foot dish. They made them look like backyard umbrellas, and they got away with it. There's always a way to be creative. So you take every restriction and you embrace it. Because as soon as you put restrictions on a design, the design begins to form itself, especially if we know what we want. And then you got to like you got to reevaluate what you want. I want rabbits. No, you want what do you want? If you're saying you want rabbits. Most people would say they want rabbits because they want meat and or fertility. So what you just it's back to the old thing. You don't want to drill but you want a hole. So for some reason rabbits are hard to do. Maybe quail is your answer. Right? Maybe if, when you find out that it's a little bit more difficult to deal with rabbits because you're probably going to keep them outside and you live in some real like wild extreme climates and you have to hide them a little bit 
you don't really want them in your garage, and their urine's corrosive, and you just think they're too personable and cute to cervically dislocate their freaking head from their neck so that you can eat them, and you look at a quail, and you're kind of like, when I have 20 of these, I can't tell any of them apart. They have no individual personality. I can easily pop off a head, right? And I can put them in my garage, and I can set it up so it won't stink, and they're protected from the elements, and concerned Karen across the street from me will never know they're there. All of a sudden, you're going with quail because you didn't want rabbits. You wanted meat and protein, and now you get a bonus. You get or you wanted meat and fertility, and now you get a bonus in eggs. Right? And there's a lot of ways we can connect stuff together. Next, put your ideology in your back pocket. Don't throw it away, but don't be held hostage by it. There's so much that gets in the way when it comes to ideology. So the person's like, if I'm going to do permaculture, man, bro, bro, if I'm going to do permaculture, I want it to be perfect. Because if it's not perfectly in line with the ethics and the directive, there's any holes in it. It's not really permaculture, bro. Bullshit. So that person continues to eat food from Albertsons. That's dumb. It's dumb. It's beyond stupid, honestly. And there's people that do it. But there's people that do it a little bit more specifically attached to a thing. I want a food forest. I think food forests are the greatest thing in the world. I should have a food forest. I need a food forest. And to have a food forest, I need a swale. Now you're being ideologically attached to techniques and tactics versus some sort of pseudo-political agenda. Right? I have to have swales. Maybe your property doesn't make any sense to have a swale. No, what you want is a multi-layered system that produces perennial food and forest products for your family. That's what you want. So maybe you're on a small property. So maybe your food forest is you know, composed of perennial herbs and shrubs and berries primarily and dwarf trees. And maybe you're practicing the backyard orcharding uh, concepts. Uh, uh, what's the guy's name? David. Dave Wilson. Right, where you're taking three or even four trees, you're planting them in a single hole instead of doing a multigraph because this just works better. Of, of maybe even full size trees, but you're pruning them to a dwarf size. Maybe you're doing espaliers on your fence, right? You're, you're, you're forcing the entire size down, and maybe there's no, no purpose to a swale in that system. Maybe there's a few contoured paths that channel water a specific way and fertility a specific way but you're you're trying to get what you want versus convince yourself you want a thing what we want in these systems is we want to balance the workload maintenance and inputs and cost with the desired outputs and choose the right tactics and techniques to get that that fit our lives and our properties and our climates But that's not how people end up coming at this. Instead, they come up with some form of ideology that either makes them make bad decisions or, or takes them out of it. I've had people say, well, I don't want to do permaculture because I don't like swales. That's like saying you don't want to drive a car because you don't like Chevy Camaros. I mean, literally. It's, like, it's almost like saying I don't want to drive a car because I don't like Chevy Camaros in blue with T-tops. It's that stupid. It doesn't make any sense. That person has, uh, has adopted an ideology that they disagree with that 
Permaculture is a swale, or permaculture is a food forest. Permaculture is a design science designed to provide us with the needs that humanity has using natural self-replicating systems. A swale is, it's like, I don't want a house because I don't like stairs. Build a one-story. You know, I I don't know, pick something else. I don't want to go fishing because I don't like the way catfish tastes. Don't eat the fish, don't fish for catfish. Like, I don't want a dog because I don't like, I don't know, poodles. Don't get a poodle. You know, I don't want a dog because one time I saw a dog shit on the floor. House train your dog. I don't want a grill because I don't like to cook outside. Okay, maybe you've got one. Or maybe you figure out when, why don't you like cooking outside? And you fix it. This is the, this is when ideology takes over and it makes you throw stupid ideas off after bad ideas. Instead of good money after bad, it's stupid ideas after bad ideas. Don't. Now, ideology is wonderful too. It is our personal moral code. And there are certain things we should do and should not do, but be open to everything and then figure out how to make it fit your morality. And when I say put it in your back pocket, I didn't say put it on the shelf and forget about it. You know, I, I carry a different wallet now, but when I used to carry a billfold, I put it in my back pocket. I care about my wallet. My money's in there. Okay, so just so I'm clear on that. Now, in doing all this, you want to consider your primary needs and wants. So here's some major ones that people should think about. Energy and the conservation thereof. This doesn't just mean like well-insulated houses. If you're putting something somewhere, and you're going to have to go there every day, you use embodied energy all the time to do things like walk, bend over, pick things up, shovel things, etc. You need to think about the conservation of your energy. right? Now, most Americans live way too sedentary of a lifestyle. But when we're designing, we should design with the concept of make it as easy as possible for the person maintaining the property because it's us. And the reason you do that is because then the things that need to happen do happen. Really think about that. Like, that's so important. You could say, well, you know, I should get out there and work 15 hours a week. And I do have it. But if you're not gonna, you could also say, well, I have 15 hours a week. You can be honest with yourself. You really do. You really do, and most weeks it'll be no problem to meet it. So design a system that you can ma- manage with eight or ten. You know what you do with all those other hours? Whatever you want. Walk around, think about it, do other projects. Take a walk in the woods. Go play Legos on the floor with your kid. Right? Don't don't dedicate every waking hour that you have available to these maintain to maintaining these systems. That way you always have headroom. So you always get it done. Here's an example. I was asked um, recently why I bought a John Deere lawn tractor when I used to have a Husqvarna. And when the Husqvarna had to go to Husqvarna Heaven, um, I almost bought another one. But I found out that the John Deere tractor had a thing called a 30-second oil change. Basically, it's an oversized oil filter, and most of the oil is stored in the filter. And you need no tools. You open it up, and you unscrew the filter. And it doesn't drain and make a mess all over the place. You take the new filter, you stick it in, and screw it back in. And you start your John Deere up, and you go down the road. And some people say it's a purist, right? Well, it's not as good as draining all the oil. Some of the old oil remains in the tractor. But you know what? You'll do it. And your tractor will last longer because you'll do it. Now, there are people that will absolutely 
do every bit of maintenance. But when I evaluate myself, if something's difficult and takes time and doesn't absolutely need doing, and I don't want to do it, it goes to the back of the line. So that's a personal failing, depending on how you look at it. Maybe it's a attribute because it means there's other things that are good, but I'm going to design to me. And that's what we need to do is think about the conservation of energy in ourselves, in actual raw energy use. How can we make one thing do many things? Next, food. Please know this. it is about more than food. I almost put food first. I did it second just to make a point. But I'm going to go high on the list with it because it's the main thing that drives the most people into permaculture. Because it's the thing we all relate to. We all relate to food. I don't know anybody that doesn't eat. And it is one of the main things that forces us to work. There's an old saying, we'd all be rich if we didn't have to eat. I don't know if that's true, but there's truth in it. There's definitely some knowledge and wisdom in that statement, if you examine it long enough and think about it. Food is a major expense. There is something that has been said as a cliche over and over and over again because it's true. And, and men say it probably more than women when they talk about supporting their families. I have to keep a roof overhead and food on the table. And throughout, you know, today we live in a world of iPod or iPods, iPhones and, uh, and, and just gadgets galore and people that eat almost every meal out to eat. I'm just a little older than some of y'all. And I remember in the 70s and 80s, we didn't go out to eat hardly ever. And like kids dressed in hand-me-down clothes. You were lucky when you got a new pair of shoes. And I'm not talking about like, I walked uphill to school both ways in the snow and I ate tree bark on a plate. And the other guy goes, well, you had a plate? I mean, we're not trying one-uppery here. It's just a fact that we just did things differently just 30, 40 years ago in a mindset. And most men did not consider themselves any sort of a failure if their kid couldn't have to date myself the new Atari game. You know, I want you to have some nice stuff, kid, and we can't do that all the time, and maybe you can get that for Christmas, but... The, 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 the standard was for a man supporting his family, roof overhead, if I keep you in a house and I keep you fed, I've done the base of what I need to do. And there's a reason. If we have that, generally, we can survive. If we go back 200, 300 years ago when people died of all kinds of illnesses and, 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 and starvation and malnutrition, and we think that the average life expectancy was like 12 or some stupid shit, when you look at people that had decent housing for the time, that were fed well, their life expectancy in ours is almost no different at all. I did an examination on it one time. It was 0.8 years. It was For men, it was 0.8 years. For women, it was a little longer. It was about five. But 0.8 years. The difference in the average life expectancy today to the average life expectancy at the time of the founding of, of, of America, and what I'm talking about is around the time of the founding fathers, since there was a lot of people that we know a lot about, we knew when they were born, how long they lived, etc. Back then I was able to use that group of people. And yeah, 0.8 over the current CDC estimate of life expectancy for a male in America. So there is so much to food. It's half of that equation. So we want to consider it. And we want to set those goals. X amount of salads. I want, you know, per week. 
It's easy. It's tangible. And you know, like, well, if we go, like, and I'm not going to put down people who go out to eat frequently. If you have a thing, like, with your wife, like on Thursdays, because it's not that busy out, because everybody's getting ready for the weekend and kind of giving that one day of rest, and that's when you can get a sitter. And on Thursdays, the kids stay home and eat fast food with the sitter because it's easy, and we have a date night, and we go out, and we have a dinner. Then that day is off the table for that, right? So we design food for our lives. Recreation and beauty. So it is impressive. Some people are like, well, you know, does a kid really need a place to play ball? Yes. Yes, a kid needs a place, place to play with the ball. Or run around, or the dogs need a place to run. Like, we need spaces for that, for our recreation, whatever that recreation may be. And that, that's when we get into designing buildings and stuff, too. Because for some people, they're like, some people consider they have a wood shop and they build things in their wood shop. That's a side hustle. Other people consider it, that's their zen, right? That's the place they go. I go and I work on. They don't care if they don't get something that they could do in a day done this weekend. They don't care if it takes a month. They go out in their shop. They sand a little bit, maybe run a router on something, make a joint for a drawer whatever, get halfway through it, have a beer, and they're done for the day. That's their recreation. Some people make a full-time business out of it. So recreation is whatever it is for you. And beauty as well. Some people ask me, like, can permaculture be pretty? Of course it can. As pretty as you want it to be. And I always say, are forests pretty? Are mountains pretty? Are streams pretty? Pretty and tidy aren't the same thing. You can make something tidy. But making something attractive and pleasing is something you can definitely do. But what is beauty to you? Design it to your own. To me, a little clump of shrubs with, like, jasmine going up a tree and butterfly bushes in front of it, Some Rosa Sharon, which is a hibiscus species. Little pond, like I built my wife. We're building this right now. Hummingbirds coming in. Morning doves landing on the ground. Little water trickling. May not be uber tidy. It may not be something that would be acceptable in the front yard of a blue hair HOA. But to me, that's very beautiful. Designed to your own understanding of beauty. And think deeper about it. I'll give you an example. I learned about this one from Dave Jackie. He was at somebody's house, and they'd had a very astute architect design the home. He goes in the bathroom to wash his hands. It's like the guest bathroom, like a half bath, toilet and sink. And he notices there's really not a mirror. There's like stuff on the wall, and there's a window where you would expect to have a mirror. I think he had a mirror somewhere else, but not in front of the sink where a mirror in a bathroom usually is. And there was a, the window was a little low. It seemed odd. It seemed odd. Until he went to wash his hands. And when he washed his hands, and he bent down to wash his hands, because usually you don't stand there with a straight back washing your hands. All right? When he bent down, then and only then could he see through that window that upgrade, there was a mountain lake in the distance, like a beautiful, pristine lake that you just didn't notice until you bent over. And just as your hands hit the cool water to wash your hands, you saw the lake way out in the distance, and it was like you were touching the water of the lake. We can do that with permaculture. It only requires enough thinking. It only requires enough consideration about how we bridge elements together. 
So recreation and beauty are definitely a part of this. Medicines and other herbal uses. Like, you're food, 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 food. But then you ask that person, well, how much do you spend on coffee a month? Nicole Sauce is going, shut up, shut up, shut up, you know? But really, like, how much do you spend on coffee a month? Do you like tea? What if you replaced half your coffee with tea? Well, if you're buying it from, you know, I don't know, Celestial Seasons or something, then you probably are about the same money. But if you grow herbs that you, you take tea from, and it cuts the use of your coffee in half, you have a couple choices. Instead of buying cheap-ass coffee, you buy good coffee from like Food Forest Farms or Nicole Sauce or uh, Mai Tai Coffee, all of our vendors, or somebody else, a local roaster. Um, or you just spend half the money you used to on coffee, and now you have more money. And you are becoming more a part of the place you live in. And you're taking in a medicine. All teas are medicinal, even if you're not taking them as medicine. All food is medicine, either good or bad, depending on our choices. Think about the impact on wildlife. Generally, from a positive aspect, there's not a lot of people that are going to do a permaculture design and harm wildlife. But we shouldn't. We really shouldn't. If you have something that's really a reserve habitat for wildlife, even if it's common wildlife, especially if they're not a problem, you probably shouldn't touch it if you don't have to. But in general, we have so much more diversity when we start practicing permaculture. I have bird species that when I moved in, I never saw. Never saw them. Now they're everywhere. And a lot of them are like insectivorous birds. So it's not because Dorothy has bird feeders freaking everywhere, right? It, you know, the cardinals are here because there's black oil sunflower for them to eat. But we have a lot of birds now that are just starting to be able to utilize the property more. And they're attracted to all of the diversity that we have. And that's just one example. We have frogs living in our little backyard, you know, stock tank ponds. I don't even know how they got here. No service water for five miles. They're here. They, they came because of the habitat. So the impact on wildlife and how you can make wildlife integrate with you. All of this is really about becoming more of a part of the place. If you want longevity, people that live the longest traditionally, they don't travel. They stay pretty much in one place. They put their hands in the dirt all the time. They get bit by local bugs. They breathe local air. And they eat local food. So we're probably not all going to do that to the extreme, but we should all think about it as we are becoming part of the place we live on. And then you want to consider the primary energies on your property and how they affect it and the energies that do affect it, even if they're not directly on the property. This is not metaphysics. I'm not talking about the energy of the mother goddess or some shit like that or the purple goose spirit that descends upon us and lays longevity eggs in the air. I'm not, no, no spaghetti monsters. When I say energy, I mean wind. I mean sun. I mean noise. I mean dust. I mean water. We call this sector analysis in permaculture, and you draw this really intricate diagram with circles around it, and my west wind is what I get in, in the summer, and my east wind is what I get in the winter, and this is my shadow lines and all of that. And those are great, but not everybody needs a full sector design, multi-layered design to design a property. You do need to know that I really love that view, so I don't want to block it. I really hate that view, so I want to block it. You do need to know... In the winter, in general, my wind comes from over there. You can probably take a walk on a winter's day 
and not just notice where the wind's coming from because winds shift, but you can probably look at prevailing lean in your vegetation that can be affected by wind and determine that over a few weeks of what the average is. Because we need to think about that. Because if it's still prevalent in early spring and we put our little young plants out and there's no wind block and this poor little pepper plant with only four leaves on it's going, it's either going to die or it's going to get stunted and we would have been better off just putting it out a few weeks later because even though we got an earlier start, we did damage to it or we should have put in some sort of way to block the wind. Temporary, permanent, whatever, we need to consider that energy. If we have dust that comes in from an area, We have a couple options. Block it. Is it bad dust? Maybe we catch it. Maybe instead of putting a wind block of trees way out on the edge of the property, we bring it in a little bit. We put in some micro or even larger earthworks. And when the wind hits those trees and it slows them down and that dust falls and settles, maybe it's fertility. So it depends on how we want to handle that. But we want to consider the energies on our property and the energies that affect our property. And we want to look at the storage, tools, maintenance, organization. And we're all weak in different areas here. I suck at organization. I've been working my ass off to get my shop organized. I really have. Um, and it's something I, I probably should have started there. And that's my final advice on this before I go to some resources I recommend. Start on the things that you want to do the least. They're probably the ones you need the most and the ones that will bite you in the ass over and over because you'll always come up with something to do other than those things. So you want to design your zone one, your productive aspects, and your maintenance and storage first. Everybody wants to go plant a thousand apple trees. Great. Great, maybe. Right? Depends. But, you know... All your shovels should go in a good storage bin, a good storage space, and be maintained. And people that have been here know, I suck at this. I suck. If it wasn't for my wife, everything would be lost. And that's why I'm now, I'm finally, after being here eight years, building out my shop and building out my other storage facilities so that I can put things away because it's a place for things to go. That's a lot of times that you find out, like, when you don't do this, it's not that you're just lazy. It's that, well, these screwdrivers just kind of all go in this pile, And then everything goes to shit. So it's really important to think about the overall organization of everything that you use and then minimize what you need. Like, for 90% of what I do, I use a garden trowel made by AM Letter because it's the best one I could find. It costs like three times as much as one from like Home Depot or Lowe's, but it lasts forever. I use a little um, pruning knife, the Turkish pruning knife that I talk about, and I use a little grafting knife. A little Victor Knox one-blade grafting knife to keep in my pocket. And 90% of what I do on my property, I do with just those tools. I have some bigger tools like shovels and mattocks and, and things like that when I have to do larger projects. I have you know, hand tools and all, but I'm talking about just gardening maintenance. I just, you know, I pull out when I have to do tree pruning beyond what those can do, I pull out the reciprocating saw and uh, the Felco pruners once a year. That's it. A lawn tractor to mow the lawn the few times a year I have to do it. Less to store, easier to keep it organized. Minimalism. Now, here's some resources I recommend. Good news is all but two of them are free. And the ones that cost money don't cost much. First one is a PDF titled An Introduction to Permaculture by Bill Mollison. 
This used to be provided by Barking Frogs Permaculture. They were a group out of Florida. Bill taught some PDCs there, and it's basically a 150-ish page transcript of Bill's lectures. And it is fantastic, and I think most people will get more out of it than you will out of a permaculture designer's manual that will cost you upwards of 100 bucks. Because that's hard to read if you're not a person like me. And it's hard for me to read. All right. So this will give you so many ideas, and you can read it for free and put it away and go out and do your stuff and come back six months or a year later and read it. You'll feel like it's the first time you read it. You'll remember certain things, but you'll be like, oh, wow, yeah, that, ooh, this, ooh, that. So I really recommend that. And for most people that can stand in for what you would get out of taking a PDC, this is the important part, before you're ready. Before you're ready, before you have the time to dedicate and you're in the right frame of mind. It will get you into that, wow, what else can I do mode? Okay. Next, the most approachable book on permaculture for the most people, not necessarily the best period, but the best for the most people who are going to be practicing some form of backyard permaculture, because even the person with five acres should first off focus on the first quarter to half acre around their house. It really should. It's a horrible mistake not to. And the best book for that, to get started and understand it at a really high level and yet approachable, is Gaia's Garden by my late friend Toby Hemingway. It is an amazing piece of work. It's incredibly easy to read. It's not that long, and it's full of practical things that you can do. The other book that I would recommend, uh, not as highly, but it's a good book, and I love the title of it alone, Practical Permaculture by Jesse Bloom and David Bohenline, I think is how you say his name. I've never actually heard an interview with him, so I'm not sure exactly how to say his name, but I would say it's Boeing Lean. Boeing Lean, I think would be how you'd say it, my best guess. looks German. Um, it's a great book. It's a great book. It's a little thicker than Gaia's Garden by Toby, um, but it's really nuts and bolts, and it really focuses mostly on the food production aspect of things, which is what most people want to get started with. The next thing I would recommend to you, so those two books cost money, the PDF's free, and yet it was with Barking Frogs. Um, I've always linked to them because they were the source of it. Their website is gone. It's replaced with some sort of porn site or something because the domain's expired. So I now have it on my server because I don't want it to go away. Uh, and then I have an introduction to permaculture series on YouTube. If you've never seen it, watch it. If you have seen it but you haven't watched it for years, watch it again. It's like 16 or 18 episodes. And it's all on YouTube and all free. And then I have a permaculture channel on Odyssey. In addition to my own personal channel, I have one that's all dedicated to permaculture videos. Most are not mine. I haven't gone through and found online and, and reposted them to it yet. Uh, I should do that. But it's a lot of stuff from Jeff Lawton, uh, a gentleman named J Dale Strickland, some stuff from Mark Shepard, some stuff from me, some really cool things that I found that give you ideas and concepts. That's all free. It's on my Odyssey channel. If you like something, you can tip me there, but you don't have to. My final thoughts here. Don't run away from this. The same way I tell people, stop ignoring cryptocurrency because you don't understand it. Because you're looking at something that's going to radically transform the economy of the world. And as, as late in the game as it is, it's still early. I feel in a, a different way, the same way, the same but different man about permaculture. Permaculture is something that is so fundamental 
to the human existence and the human experience. And the more the people in charge mess things up, the more critical a skill set that permaculture design becomes. And everybody can practice permaculture the way that everybody can enjoy ice cream or at least something ice cream-like. Like, again, saying you don't want to do permaculture, saying I don't want to eat ice cream because I hate chocolate. Don't eat chocolate ice cream. I said this about beer. People say, I don't like beer. I don't, th you know, and if you don't drink because you don't drink, that's different, right? But if you like, I like wine, but I don't like beer, let me introduce you to a few beers then because I got some beers that you might want to be interested in because there's a bazillion beers and there's probably a beer for you. Permaculture design works that way. I don't want, you know, to spend 80 hours for a course and, and lots of money on a course that teaches me high-level things, over half of which I'll never use, right? Because even if I could use them, I know I won't. I won't make the connections. I don't have time, okay? But you eat. We use permaculture design to make our, our, our properties less likely to burn in a forest fire. We use permaculture design to have a better home to live in, even if we don't grow food. Most people don't live in a property surrounded by bare dirt or sand. There's some sort of landscaping. Your landscaping, even if it's not edible, can be more resilient. Your house can be more energy efficient without touching your house by knowing what to plant, where to plant it, when to plant it, how to plant it. Simple little additions on the exterior of your home can change how much money you spend to air condition your house. People say, well, that's not permaculture, that's architecture, that's landscape design. Permaculture's all of it. It's just coming at it from a different mindset. We had a lady here at the last class that we just did last week. She was a landscape designer for over 20 years. And when I was explaining some things about permaculture, I happened to see her in the audience, and she had a grin, like a mixed grin, like, Wow, that's really exactly what I was going to say. And I'm like, damn it, that's my second slide in my presentation. Not a permaculturist. Never took a PDC. Second slide was about an empty slate with no restrictions and how hard it is to design. And I was talking about that subject that I've covered today already, and so I won't do it again. It's all permaculture. As long as we stay in tune with design science, fundamental core human ethics and an understanding that we must be responsible for ourselves and that of our children. That's real permaculture. And I don't know anyone that that doesn't work for when it's approached the right way. Hopefully we got you on track with doing that today. Hope I've given you a good starting point and hopefully you can take a different look at your own backyard. With that, let me remind you one of the ways you can help support the show and the work that we do, do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z-T-SPAS.com. Today's item of the day is the Nebo 6350 Larry Work Light. It's a cool little light. uses three AAA batteries, and it's a work light. So in other words, it's a compact light that will fit like a pen in your shirt pocket if you, if you do that. None of my shirts have pockets like that anymore. Um, I guess my flannels do. Uh, but it's that kind of thing. But yet it has a long LED light like a, like a light that you might work under the hood of a car with. So it's in miniature. $7.50 a piece. Well, today they are in a four-pack for $30. Bucks. 
Uh, it's a great little light. I first found out about it from a guy who sent me one, and he said, let me tell you how I found it. I was doing some work in a ceiling at an office where you pop the ceiling tiles up and you get up in the ceiling space, and I was up in there doing something. I think he was pulling cable, and he looks, and there's this little flashlight sitting there. So he picks it up, you know, turns it on, doesn't work. Figures, whoever left it there is not coming back for it. Takes it down, opens it up, puts new batteries in it, turns on, wow, this thing's bright. Starts checking it out and decides this is a great light. Starts using it. It's got a magnet so you can, you know, set it where you can see, etc. Cheap. Um, just works. He ended up writing the company and finding out, like, why do you call it Larry. And when they were trying to name this light, the people at Nebo, they knew this electrician. It was like the hardest working electrician they knew. And it was really for that kind of tradesperson they designed it for. And so they named it after Larry, the electrician. Really cool. And, man, I'm telling you, bright as I'll get out. I even have a video in the write-up today. Remember, you can stay in touch with everything we do by being part of the Daily Mail, which is also free. You just go to the website, click on subscribe, and sign up with your name and email address. Cancel anytime you want. You get one email a day with all the stuff that goes on the blog and maybe things like some videos or some news. And that's all that it is. It's never a big sales pitch or anything like that. And you can also join the Member Support Brigade. You get a bunch of discounts. The discounts pay for the membership. And you support the show that you listen to, just click on members at thesurvivalpodcast.com to learn more about that. And above all, you should be on our Telegram group, or I'm, t I'm sorry, our Telegram channel. Group's great too, but group is like all the people talking to each other. Channel's just announcements from me. You never miss anything that way, including sometimes, I don't think it'll happen today with the Nebo, but sometimes there's sales and, and special opportunities. As soon as I put it out, I put it on Telegram. And unlike social media where you may not see it, If you're on Telegram and you don't silence my alerts, you'll see it and you won't miss out. And sometimes insider information comes that way too. I'm just saying. With that, let's wrap things up with our song of the day today. This is by a band I'd never heard of. The song was released in 2015 and it is called Story to Tell. And on some levels, it's about exactly that. We all have a story to tell, but it's really much deeper. It's really much deeper. There's a line in it that the album that it is on was called, Be a Slave, Be the Change. And there's no or in there, but I think the or is implied. You, you have a choice. You can either be a slave to the system or be part of changing the system. It's a big part of why I love permaculture. I don't need anybody's permission to do permaculture. I don't need a certification to do permaculture. Nobody owns the word permaculture. Nobody owns the word permaculture. Bill Mollison made sure that nobody would ever own or control the word permaculture. No bureaucrats, no politicians, no priests. Anybody can do it. But it's one of the most transformative things in the world. And we talk about things like that and all, all other types of things like that that are transformative things, things that you can do. Because people who constantly worry about all the bad in the system that think they're fighting it, they're slaves that polish their own chains. Going to the ballot box once every four years to punish people who get away with cheating in the open light of day is not being part of the change. It's being controlled by a system. And when you're controlled by something, you're a slave to it. You're a slave to it. When I was in computer testing, I'm sure this would be politically incorrect now, especially in that company, which I won't name at the moment, But when we had a tester, we had basically an intelligence side of the tester 
And there was a guy on that side, and he would see like all the information about the cable, everything was good or what was wrong with it to fix it. But at the other end of the circuit, there was a remote. You plugged it in. And the remote was there so that the, the smart end of the unit could talk to it. And you know what they were called? The master and the slave. Because one was controlled by the other, not the other way around. So many people are slaves to the very system that they have convinced themselves because they're sharing posts on Facebook or Gab or MeWe or Twitter or whatever that they're fighting it. Everything in their life is led by fighting something that's like fighting empty air. It's like being in a dark room with no furniture and no objects and swinging your fists. And I mean pitch black where you can't even see your fists. You accomplish nothing or you find a wall and you hurt yourself. The things we talk about, permaculture just being one of them, like flipping on the light, finding the door, and if the damn things lock, kicking the hinges off of it. You can be the slave or you can be the change. And you do that because you have a story to tell. And with that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Not you.